Ba ba da ba da 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 ba da 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 ba da 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 ba da 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 ba da 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 da. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline, and I'm your other host, Jane. And we're here today to talk about. No, wait a second. This isn't Heroes of Olympus. It's not Heroes of Olympus. In fact, it seems weirdly familiar, almost as if it's something that in one form or another we've covered twice already. It's true, it's true. Uh, It's Lightning Thief Week, folks. Uh, And what that means is that... Well, well, fuck, should I talk about the music stuff first? Uh, Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's some admin. We should get that out of the way at the top. Uh, you may have noticed that there is no music or maybe a replacement. Probably just no music for this week, at least. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that we could use. Our our theme song, no longer there. Uh, the person, Kevin McLeod, who did those all the all the great tracks uh, that people love to use, is now doing NFTs. So fuck that. Uh, and, you know, we, we feel uncomfortable using that music uh, without purchasing the NFT first. That's right. You know, like we we obviously like looked at the NFT, we observed it, we we appreciated its beauty. Okay, but but apparent I don't want to make this a podcast about this, but apparently it's God. I don't even know. It, it fuck NFTs. We're not gonna be part of anything associated with it. Uh, to our to the best of our ability, mm-hmm. if fucking Rick Riordan starts doing NFTs, then I guess we'll have to just. I don't know. We'll do. We'll just talk more about uh, Rick Ride and Jizz. <laughs> you know what? Maybe. Just really, really ruin that public image as much as we can. Uh-huh. I guess we'll, you know, we'll probably just be like saying like, fuck Rick Riordan more often, which we don't usually do. It happens occasionally, but yeah, we'd have to turn up the frequency quite a bit. Yeah. Usually it's because of our frustrations with his books and not with him as a person. <laughs> So how are you doing today, Janie? Uh, I'm doing all right, thanks. Uh, I spent most of my day playing Total War Shogun. Uh-huh. Because that, that is that? a game that I will switch on and think, I'll play this for a couple of hours, and then I look out my window and it's fucking dark. Uh-huh. So that that ate my entire day. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm doing all right. I definitely haven't also been playing a video game for the past few hours. I can see that you've been playing Crypt of the Necrodancer on Steam. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, um, we're here today to talk about the Lightning Thief musical, uh, which is, you know, I know that's not Heroes of Olympus. I know you were all gagging for it, but this was a definitely planned surprise that we knew because we knew several weeks in advance that it was Lightning Thief week this week. Oh, we definitely knew several weeks in advance and it definitely, it definitely wasn't just like three days ago and we saw Rick Riordan announce it. You definitely can't uh, listen to our bonus show Nectar of the Positive to hear us on air saying, wait, should we do this? That sounds like a better idea. Uh-huh. Well, we're <laughs> initially, because, okay, cards on the table, Heroes of Olympus is going to be fucking long. There's, it's, there's as it's, many books as there were Percy Jackson books, but they're all like twice as long. It's going to be longer than everything we've done so far put together, probably. And... So it's going to take a year of our lives. It's going to take a year of your lives. I don't mind that, but I did. I just want to take a like a refreshing week off from reading. This is this is the last reprieve we'll get because we foolishly decided that we do the series individually instead of in publication order, where we would have been able to break up Heroes of Olympus with Kane Chronicles. See, the problem is okay. It's fine. the The problem is um, is that. It was a very good idea, but it was also a very bad idea. Yeah, it's, it, there was no good option here. <laughs> there wasn't. Uh, but if, before we get into the musical, uh, there's special there's special news this week. The special news? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, Percy Jackson has been cast in the PJO TV show. It's happening. So this is... Um, oh, I want to make sure I get this kid's name right. Uh, he's a 13-year-old who's been in, like, one movie, I think. Uh, with like With, like, Ryan Reynolds. Um, uh, Walker Scoble, 13 years old, apparently a, a, a big Percy Jackson fan. You know, he was cast back in January. Be a shame if he wasn't. 
You get locked into doing this for five years for a whole TV show and you fucking hate it. God, yeah, no, it'd be bad. <laughs> uh, but uh, people are making a big to-do about like, oh, protect this precious child. And I'm already worried about, I just really, sometimes I'm like, wow, children shouldn't be in acting. They really shouldn't. This is this is uh, proof that Disney and Rick Ryden have been ignoring the letters I've been sending them which is that they should just take the technology they've been using to um, de-age Mark Hamill in the Star Wars stuff uh-huh. uh, and just use that on Logan Lerman for the show. God. Oh, God. You know, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> that wouldn't be horrible. Speaking of, like, you know, I don't have a lot to say about this. Congrats to congrats to, to Walker. Hope it pays um, well. Uh, I definitely. I mean, okay, here's what they're doing, right? They're casting age appropriately because they want to make this into the next Harry Potter, right? Yeah, I mean, that was the plan with the original movies, right? That's why they got fucking Chris Columbus to do them. I think so. But, like, they want they want us to have the experience of, like, oh, growing up with this kid, basically, is, uh-huh. my, is my thought. Um, and I don't know. There's something to be said for that, I guess, but yeah i don't know it it was some the the way that people talk about like oh let's just replace harry potter with percy jackson in the cultural space horrifies me sometimes yeah no i i think i think in in a lot of our early episodes we talked about that and how that's kind of maybe not the the great trade that it seems like at face value right especially because it's like does there need to be a harry potter in our cultural space Mm mm-hmm uh, but anyway, you know, uh, I think we should get into the musical. Good good job, Walker, surname. Sincerely hope it doesn't fuck you up for life, but quite worried that it will. <laughs> uh, uh, so, the Lightning Thief musical. I wasn't expecting to cover this for a long time, to be honest. Yeah, I thought we were maybe like going to do like a Shrieking Shack, cover all the books, take a year off, then do the musical, the stage show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, this is, this is honestly, I'm glad we watched this now because I feel like it's like exactly the refresher I needed on the vibes. Mm-hmm, definitely. Because the vibes, the vibes of this, I mean, the vibes of this musical are so good. We don't really need to do a plot summary. It's, it's the light, the lightning thief. There are some minor adjustments, but it's very, it follows the, the book very closely. Mm-hmm. Percy gets expelled, goes to camp. Uh, saves his mom in the world, and at the end, he's betrayed by a friend. It's 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 the basic structure. Yeah. And it, it turns out that making or like a jank ass like low budget lightning thief musical <laughs> with like seven actors works really well. It's yeah, because I mean the the Percy Jackson books are about like these kids with all their problems. Um, learning to overcome their differences and save the world so like that vibes very well with this extremely low budget janky performance like it's it's very charming the way that it kind of lines up like that incredibly it's it's like the epitome of off-broadway in a way that just like (laughs) is so charming it's charming as hell and i i i really enjoyed it which i was not expecting to i don't think jane what's your like you're not a musical you're not a musicals person, right? Pretty much every stage musical that I've seen is one that you have like sat me down and made me watch. Uh-huh. So that's basically my, my entire frame of reference is uh, Sweeney Todd, Mean Girls, and Heathers. <laughs> I think we watched... Did we watch Jesus Christ Superstar together? That was the, it was the movie adaptation of it, not the stage show. That's fair. That's fair. Oh, we also watched Hamilton. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> you know. Uh, that... <laughs> That that wasn't that was like a hate watch I should say. Oh no, yeah. That... <laughs> now, did we watch Les Mis together? We didn't, did we? I don't think we did. One day we'll watch Les Mis together. I'm I, I'm pretty basic in my musicals tastes. I'm just like I like the good ones. I like Les Mis. I like Sweeney Todd. I like Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, love Heather's. It's better Heathers than the movie. Uh huh. And I so I'm I guess like I, but I haven't. Other than Heather's, I feel like I haven't watched a lot of, like, modern musicals. And I was kind mm. of afraid that this would be, like, super, like, Dear Evan Hansen about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Which uh, it wasn't not. Oh, oh yeah? I don't know. Like, Care, care to expand on that? Because that's there's a lot of ways one could construe that. I don't... The vibes, I guess? Like... Like, it did somewhat have the vibes of, like, like, low, not, like, low random, but, like, the modern-day advent of low random of, like, uh, we're, you know, wacky teenagers, and we're all play, and, like, uh, the main guy doing this, his vibe, like, his vibe was the thing of, like, adult slouching to look like a younger person. Oh, definitely. Which is, I know, especially the, the part where he writes himself in a Grover's suicide note was I thought quite tasteless. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, I really just I <laughs> it was a weird plot change, uh, but I did really respect it. Um, <laughs> oh god, you know. <laughs> uh, so I, but I I had fun with this one for sure. Yeah, no, it was it was a fun time. Do we want to do we want to get into the like the nitty gritty? Let's let's get into the nitty gritty. Because I frantically try to find where I put my notes. I think I think we both watched this. I mean, of course, we both watched this on stage. Uh, and then, yeah, we were sat uh, on the stage. It's like uh, back in Shakespearean times. If you were an aristocrat, you got to sit on the stage. We did that. Yeah, we're podcasters, so we get to sit on the stage. <laughs> uh, the, the aristocrats of our time. It's true. Mind you, that's like the aristocrats, like the joke, not like the... <laughs> And then we both legally purchased copies of the CDs to, like, listen to ourselves afterwards, just to get a, a quick refresher on it beforehand. Yeah, definitely. Uh, how do we want to do this? Do we want to, like, song by song, any general stuff? Uh, so I was, I was, uh, coming down off quite a lot of NyQuil when we went to see this. Uh-huh. Which means that, uh, the quality was quite bad. I couldn't really... The songs kind of blurred together a lot for me just because I couldn't hear them well enough to really get a distinctive sense of the sound of each one. Uh-huh. So I think you, you you might be better off walking us through this. Okay. And, you know, that's... <laughs> and Jane, of course, was playing Total War, so she couldn't re-listen to it. Yeah, so we start off with the prologue, which is basically, like, I guess, like, the Hamilton-style... Uh, like everyone on st- is on stage and they're singing about like oh this is a story this is what the story is about uh, like uh, I think Luke is like the first one to actually be singing in this musical uh, which I guess is another kind of Hamilton core thing like oh Aaron Burr starts us off person who has only listened to Hamilton damn this music musical really seemed a lot like Hamilton <laughs> <laughs> fucking listen <laughs> i i listened to hamilton i i first of all i liked hamilton before it was cool and then i stopped liking hamilton before it was cool to do so so i <laughs> i i uh i but i unfortunately in the period of time that i did like it i listened to it every single day of my life so it is in my brain forever i see that's understandable i actually like how tongue-in-cheek this opening is like one of the opening lines is like the, the Greek gods are real, and we're their kids, and their kids got issues, basically. It's very, like, direct, and, like, I don't know. Like, it's obvious that it's going to be dealing with, like, these same themes, but in a way that is not as... A way that is not particularly serious while still, like, dealing with them, I guess. It, it presents the same themes as the book, but it does so in a way that's, like... It's much more appropriate for a stage thing where everything is a lot more simple and open on its face because you need to yell at an audience who might only be half paying attention. Exactly. It's not like it's not like interwoven into the dialogue or anything. They just say what the themes are. Right, right, and that's like good, right? That's like how a musical works. Yeah, no, that's 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 what they should be doing. And uh, then we kind of go into um, the the day I got expelled, which is like basically Percy narrating the first few chapters of the lightning thief uh Percy does the fucking chapter summaries for the first four chapters better than we ever could he really does it's a problem i mean i guess we could start (laughs) singing them (laughs) uh there there's something i think actually the first thing he says in this musical is just like the first line from the book like look i didn't want to be a demigod something like that or like i didn't Mm want to be a half-blood uh, you know, a little bit of uh, a respect for the source material type thing. Uh, and, like, there's a weird choice in this song, which is that Mrs. Dodds, who is, like, played by the same person as 
I think like the same person as uh, Clarice and also Katie Gardner, who's in this musical for some reason, mm-hmm. uh, is just doing like a very exaggerated like Southern accent. She is off her tits on something. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the performance is very like drunken teacher calling you back after class because they're at the end of their rope and you were talking all the way through and they're just going to shout at you while waving this bottle around. Uh-huh. I actually, this song kind of, like, put me on the edge of my seat. Like, oh, God, they're going to make Percy, like, super snarky. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I thought he was going to be, like, a fucking Marvel character was how it was feeling from this song. Yeah, he's got quips and comebacks for everything Mrs. Dodd says to him. And it didn't quite end up that way, but he's, he, he, he is very quippy throughout this in a way that is, like, Percy's a quippy character. That's fine. But it, it, it just rubbed me the wrong way at first. Uh-huh. Yeah, it works in the long run, but it definitely initially seems like, oh god, no, they haven't just like swapped out his personality for fucking Star Lord, have they? Uh-huh. Uh there's this is where the first signs of like the low budgetness come out, which is that like <laughs> a couple of people like run behind Mrs. Dodds and like they like get like a um, it's not even like a full prop or anything, but it's just like some fake wings. And it's this just is like, like some some metal struts with some bin bags over them. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, she's transformed into her fury form. And uh I, I, the part that and I was like, okay, that's pretty awesome. And then, you know, Mr. Brenner comes in, throws Percy the throws Percy the pen, and I think the part that does get me is like when he does transform it into a sword, I think that's done pretty well. Mm-hmm. It feels kind of like, oh, that's pretty epic. Uh Grover's also in this musical. Uh-huh. And I don't know, what do you think of Grover here? I think possibly only by default, but it still applies. I think this might end up being my favorite version of Grover. Uh-huh. Just because, you know, the book one kind of dissolves into nothing by the end of the series. And right. the movie one is shit and also in a number of ways quite offensive. Uh-huh. Uh, and th- this Grover who is just very insecure, very badly wants to be included with his friends... Uh, but is also still genuinely helpful in a lot of ways. Uh, it's just it's everything that I liked about the character in Lightning Thief without the character kind of becoming shit later on. Yeah, I agree with that. And like I, I, I like that he has like teeth in this too. Like there's a part where Percy is like, "Rover, you're my, you're my best friend, man," and he's like, "Yeah, Percy, but I'm also your only friend." I think he might say that in the book. Yeah, that's probably true. But you're right, he, he de- especially during the parts where like he is communing with animals or something, he is a lot like cattier if Percy's being a dick about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just like that Grover is like, I'm, I, and like you said, this is like Lightning Thief Grover, but just I got so used to him being such a non-character by the end of this like series that mm-hmm. he even like gets his own song later, and I found that really refreshing. Like he gets a, he gets yeah. to have his character development by telling us like why he is insecure in the way he ways he is. Yeah, it's really good. Speaking of characters being kind of uh, quite over the top and exaggerated. Uh-huh. Uh, do you want to talk about Smelly Gabe? Or wait, are we still doing the thing where we go through the song by song? Eh. <laughs> um Smelly Gabe is like first of all, again, played by played by the same person uh as uh Luke? As both Luke and Ares, mm-hmm. uh, and that's it's pretty good. He is just like he, very exaggerated, I guess. Like he's not only like he just apparently emits like such a strong stench that everyone is holding their nose around him all the time. Yeah, like in the book, it's a nickname, but in the in the stage show, you get the impression that if they had the prop budget for it, there would be like green lines coming off him while all the characters put clothes pegs on their noses. I mean, they're literally pinching their noses closed the entire yeah. time they're talking to him. <laughs> it's it's like exaggerated, but like it is funny. Also, uh, th- there were points. It's like okay, this is not. This is like you are yelling, and it's and it's supposed to be funny. Uh, like there's a little bit of that with this, but I think largely like the exaggeration plays for me. Yeah, I think he has to be played a lot more comedically, just because like tonally, I think the play can really dive too hard into like the domestic violence stuff with Gabe and also uh-huh. there's just kind of not room for it in the two hour production 
Yeah, it's very true. Like, we do... It's not that it's not mentioned at all. Like, I think in uh, one of Percy's solo songs, uh, I think it's called Good Kid, maybe. Uh, he, You know, there's a line where he's like, you know, all you get for trying to be a good kid is a, you know, a, a bad rep and a good smack, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, like, it's it's that it's that one line, basically. Yeah, definitely. And and Percy handing Sally the Medusa head at the end and being like, "Hey, if you want to kill him." Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I uh, Sally, I also really enjoy here. This depiction of Sally is so different from the books, but also like really good. Uh-huh. She's like, so quirky. She's she's very quirky. She is extremely horny. <laughs> no, yeah, there's there's a part near the end where she's like basically calls Poseidon daddy. It's like Percy is like, oh, so that was my dad, was it? And she is just like looking after where he was on the stage and like runs her hands down her side and go, yes, that's your daddy. <laughs> it's fucking incredible. <laughs> it's it's wild. I'm like, <laughs> she really sells it like, um, like, uh, like. The performance is amazing. She has a so she has a song like a duet with Percy, and it's uh it's like just kind of her encouraging him, and it did make me cry a little bit. Aww. Uh, like especially I don't know. I was watching a silly little animatic of it later, mm-hmm. um, and it was like you'll go to camp and you'll have a place where your weirdness doesn't like is what makes you strong basically. And like all the little animatic flashes through like Percy lifting the world up on, on his shoulders and like defeating Luke. And it's like, okay, like offering his, yeah, it was very good. Um, and it did, it brought some tears to my eyes, but I think even without the, without watching this animatic, there is like a, a lot of real emotion in the performance here. Yeah. It's, it's very good. I, I enjoyed this version of um, Sally a lot. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of like dread, when she like quote unquote like dies um there's not i guess like there isn't enough time i think it's one of the things is like the the realization that she's probably in hades is like it comes very soon after that exactly like i think we get less of like oh the minotaur scene is scary because they i think it's actually a pretty smart choice because they can't really do a scary minotaur fight scene definitely not like, they can make it kind of cool, and they can, like, what is done well is, like, Percy afterwards obviously being super traumatized by seeing his mom die. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, that comes through, and, like, there's a there's a campfire song where he's, like, basically is, like, oh, yeah, my mom, she was really cool, but now she's dead. <laughs> uh, and that, so I, I think it comes through well. Like, I think that's an, uh, it's a good change. Uh, for the mode of production, what the fuck am I saying? The mode of production—that's nothing. I mean, no, I mean, you're you're right. It's it's a play again. It has to be like very. It has to be a bit simplified and can't quite, especially for a musical. It can't get quite as deep into like Percy's feelings or something as the novel can. Uh huh. Uh huh. Camp Life is. It starts off with a bang. That's for sure. Uh huh. Uh, and that bang. Is named Dionysus. <laughs> now, Jane, can you tell, give a rundown of Dionysus for us? Dionysus is, um, he's very distinct from the version of Dionysus that we loved in the books, uh, but also in a way where he still rules. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, the book Dionysus is like permanently, even though he's not drinking, he seems kind of drunk and just kind of sick of everything. And he's just, like, slumping around, getting Percy's name wrong, uh, unless it's, like, his kid died. And that's that's a, a really good way for him to be around all these happy campers. It's very funny. Dionysus in the pl- in the musical is, like, um, you know that reaction image of the little, um, the little hamster on the couch? It says, I can't fucking take any more of this. Seriously, I'm at my limit. Uh-huh. That's what Dionysus comes across like in this. He is absolutely fucking sick of having to deal with these kids and he explodes over every little thing and it's hilarious god you're right yeah it's very um like phil from hercules yeah definitely yeah this is this is the same performer who does a grover and i think he does a great job of like juggling those two roles mm-hmm. um it's like the opening song with dionysus just like absolutely like 
like screaming about how terrible Camp Half Blood is and how much it sucks <laughs> to be him. It's so funny, and he is just like tormenting these campers who come by. Like Katie Gardner comes by and like is like, oh, you know, I got injured. Why I fell off my Pegasus? And he's like, you're supposed to have archery lessons. And she's like, I don't like hurting wood or whatever. Uh, and so he, just like the rest of the time she's there, he's just like sharpening a pencil and pointing it at her. Just like it's it's very just like good de- deliberately to piss her off. It's great. Uh huh. It's great like use of these very small props in like a very hilarious way. Yeah. So it, it turns out whatever medium we're in, whether it be shite movie or pretty decent stage musical, Mister D is always the best. Yeah. Yeah. What. This is so we get like four named campers here, other than our main three. We mm-hmm. get we get Clarice, we get Luke, we get um I think Silena, yeah. and we get Katie Gardner. Why is Katie Gardner one of them? Genuinely, hand on heart, do not remember who that is in the books. Katie Gardner is a daughter of Demeter, and I think the first time she shows up is to like argue with the Stoll brothers a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, because they like pranked her and she only sh- I think she shows up for the first time in that book and then she like helps out with the Battle of Manhattan and that's it weird and I have to say I also don't think she's a big character in uh, the Heroes of Olympus either uh, I mean I wouldn't know but no yeah I'm just like I'm saying that there's no like I don't think this is like retrofilling her in or anything like that yeah unlike uh, a different character who you uh eagle eyes spotted uh quite late in the play that was a really fun like backfilled reference to later in the series Uh uh-huh yeah there's it so you can say it yeah 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 yeah. there's a sequence where they're like basically very like again kind of only like a comedy like they can't do the road trip thing so they're just kind of like montaging through all this stuff Mm -hmm. um like they very briefly see the evil chihuahua they very briefly like see the big storm that's happening and then they like almost they like almost get go into the lotus hotel and casino but annabeth is like hey that's a bad idea and then percy's like it can't be that bad so he goes to like check on like hey how long have you been here to one of the people and she's like well my brother and i have been here since 1932 one day ago and they leave and so it's like <laughs> oh there's there's bianca there she is uh like Two years before she fucking dies. Uh-huh. Gets squished by a big robot. God. Rest in peace. <laughs> we don't think about Bianca enough. I, th- I, I remember at the time we complained that she was kind of a nothing character right up until she died. Uh-huh. So that may explain it. Speaking of um, people at Camp Half-Blood, and uh-huh. again, like, major changes to the source material... This version of Chiron is very different. Oh, yeah, he's pretty wild. He's like, because the version of Chiron we get in the books is this, like, he's very warm, he's very fatherly, it's very destabilizing when he's, like, missing in Sea of Monsters and stuff. He's very much, like, the the core of the of the camp. Uh, in this, in the, the musical, he's just kind of, like, a shitty camp counselor. <laughs> yeah, like you get some of that like you get him talking to percy and being like i expect a lot from you percy and like later on having a couple of conversations but like largely he's just kind of like he just gets to be catty with mr d and have a little bit of like oh the prophecy like he's he's very like flighty i guess well he also there's also the part where percy says like okay i'm gonna go on this quest and then we find out that Chiron like deliberately did not tell him about the monsters to make sure that he went. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it's a big change, but I think it works because um, this play leans so hard on like the big emotions about uh, p- like parental absence that the campers have. So having Chiron like filling that role would kind of mitigate that a bit. So I'm kind of glad they made that change. Yeah, for sure. I guess talking about parental absence, uh, or I guess like daddy issues do we want to talk about luke yeah sure luke is uh i i think i was kind of prepared for luke to be like like i i was kind of expecting him to be very like backgrounded for a lot of this Mm -hmm. uh 
but he really was a main character in his own right throughout that really did like kind of effectively have where that ending twist uh still works pretty well yeah definitely and it builds to it uh arguably better than the book yeah the the, like the, the seeds of the manipulation are like they're not screamingly obvious but you can trace them a lot better Mm-hmm. rather than it like all coming together right at the end of the book like the novel does yeah like he's the one who plants percy's uh he's the one who plants in percy's head the idea to go to the underworld to save his mom and mm-hmm. whereas like i think in the in the mo- in the movie in the book it was like you know like a, a message from hades that had to deal with the whole the whole lightning thief plot yeah or like in um in the book, I think it's like Aerie specifically is like, hey, maybe your mom's down there. You know, actually thinking about it now, the lightning thief plot is kind of like, it's it's not what matters in this at all. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's like, I, I think one of the, it's very telling that like, one of the major things they removed from the opening maybe half hour is any of the foreshadowing uh, about like there being an imbalance of power in Olympus. That stuff just got chucked folks on the characters. Yeah, and I think that was a, like a, a very good decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, what it does mean is that like the climax, I think, does wobble a little bit. Like what it, what it does. Obviously, it's like one of those things. Where it's like, oh, there are two climaxes, right? Like there's yeah. there's the Ares fight, which is honestly just like hilariously good, um, mm-hmm. and then there's the Luke fight, which is like genuinely kind of emotional, and I think there are some good changes made to it. Um, as opposed to like the book uh but it, it it kind of makes it feel like i guess what it does is it makes it feel like not the proper sense of victory so we're actually in percy's shoes when he's like well i doesn't feel like the main conflict here is resolved yeah it's 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 really good especially that, that final fight with luke um kind of addresses something that we complained about a lot in the series Mm-hmm. Which was like Annabeth's lack of FaceTime with Luke after his betrayal. Yeah. Uh, we get to have Annabeth come into that scene. We get to see her reaction and kind of how horrified she is. And it's really nice that she gets a bit more to do. Yeah, for sure. Like, because they they do have an important relationship here. And obvi- obviously, like, in the books, too. Um, so, like like you said, it's just nice that that is, gets to happen. Annabeth is Annabeth is definitely, like changed here to an yeah, extent definitely. it's little things like I think her insecurity is being emphasized a lot more here than like her hubris yeah I think I, I mentioned while we were watching it that I thought like oh she's not really defined by, by her hubris in this one and you kind of correctly identified that like not really it's like again that simplification for a musical it's like it's the insecurity at the core of that hubris is being really brought to the forefront that's true. That's true. Um, and she she also gets her own song. There's a little like, <sighs> there's a little bit of that like, I don't know. There, it it kind of felt like listening to um, like some of the worst, not the worst, some but some of the like less, <laughs> ah, I'll say worst, like some of the worst parts of the Mean Girls musical. You mean the Mean Mean Girls musical? That's why I said. No, I mean the worst part is the Mean Girls musical. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah it's bad uh, but also like listening to like i don't know like just like a big speed like a big song about how we're all stars in our, our own right or like hashtag feminism like uh, like very the surface level stuff like that mm-hmm. um there it, it there was a little bit of that like hashtag feminism the hermione grangification of annabeth a little bit like <laughs> she's she's like oh i've always like the her song is about how like she's you know she's a smart girl but it's the, the world doesn't like a smart girl or whatever but it's it's not like a bad song or anything i also i'm i'm trying to, i'm kind of reaching for things to complain about i guess uh-huh. but even this is like doing really good about like showing off her relationship with her mom her feelings about like her family yeah, it, it does a good job of getting that across without ever actually showing us the other characters. Which, like, you know, the novel has the luxury of having them show up at the end. The, sh- the musical, with its very limited pool of actors, can't do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to shout out the squirrel scene. Yeah, tell us about the squirrel scene. The squirrel scene is, um, 
I think it's kind of a riff on something from the books where they're like talking to a stray dog or something. Uh, but it, it's it's very different in the musical where it's just Annabeth, Percy and Grover blow up a bus, get lost in the woods and are completely out of food and starving. And they have to ask this... Um, the squirrel for advice and Percy like starts shit talking the squirrel and both Annabeth and Grover are yelling at him to apologize to the squirrel while the actor who plays Katie Gardner is playing the squirrel and like making weird squeaking offended noises Uh uh-huh it's just it's such a clusterfuck and it feels like it could be a direct adaptation of something from the books but it's like a musical original it's This entire song where they're lost in the woods, which is called Lost in the Woods, I believe, uh, <laughs> is it's it's hilarious. It's like um, I would describe it as like I, I think actually how I saw it described was like Scooby Doo plus like Sondheim style patter uh, as like which is very much the vibe. It's like uh, but then like just one of the verses is just by a squirrel and that's it's hilarious. It's very good. It does also lead into um, uh, th- this this play's version of Medusa. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't know that any version of Lightning Thief has gotten Medusa right. No, uh, there's always been at least one weird, slightly offensive thing. Like the okay. the portrayal is like weirdly, vaguely racist in the novel. In the movie, she keeps yelling about how Poseidon is her daddy, which seems to be coming up a lot. Uh huh. And in this one, uh, she's played by a dude in drag. Uh-huh. Um, I, okay. Nothing wrong with drag. Um, but I, the, what are, like, this is actually something I kind of want to dig into. What are the politics of, like, deciding the one time you do, like, a cross-gender performance uh, will be a guy in drag who is um, specifically doing a monster Mm-hmm. Like, okay, there, like, there's other than like, a lot of the women in this musical are shuffling around to different roles already. Like this, this guy is also doing a lot of roles. It should be said, yeah. Uh, and it's it's the guy who does um who does like Kronos, I think, and Chiron, and uh, fucking Poseidon too. Uh, and so he's he's also Medusa, and mostly the effect that it has is that he's doing like a falsetto most of the time, except for when he's doing a scary monster voice, which is when his voice gets deep, which is scary. Yeah, I don't know. I might be specifically very like on a hair trigger about this stuff because I'm British, and put a dude in drag is about forty percent of like our national comedy output for stage stuff. Uh huh. Uh, but yeah, it pretty much everything you're describing comes across as extremely kind of shitty. It really does. I really don't care for it. Uh, I, like you could have just had one of the women do it, or you could have like done it slightly differently, even. But it's specifically get, get the... Sally to do it. She's fucking Poseidon's ex. Aha! Uh-huh. Oh, that's true. Actually, I mean, I guess it could have been confusing, but probably not. Like she's already well, doing enough. Yeah, she already plays Caron anyway. Right, right. Oh, yeah. That that's a good. That's a that's a fun change, actually. The entire everything with the underworld is a good change. Oh, definitely. Basically, like they've changed it from like a, just a pretty legitimate underworld with a facade of a recording studio to just like being entirely like music studio themed, kind of. The entire underworld is a shitty music studio, which for for a a musical performance is an absolutely genius change. Yeah, and Caron basically like introduces herself to them by like by like saying, "Okay, while we're in the elevator, listen to my mixtape," <laughs> which is very good. It's yeah, it's great. There's like some like I don't know like celebrity musician impressions during this. Like, there's a lot of like d- like like dead celebrity. Like, there's James Brown. There's Kurt Cobain. <laughs> Yeah, that, um, <laughs> oh boy. Oh, fuck, there's someone else, too. I can't, I can't quite remember. Uh, but it, it seems like one of those things that you would have in a musical that would then also be able to, like, it's probably, 
to my mind, I imagine it's one of those things where it's like, oh, you go see a different version of this musical. They'll have a few different, like, they'll have, like, a different dead celebrity, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but it feels like one of those things. Mm-hmm. You know what, actually, I wonder if this was, like, another case of something specifically written for us, like Annabeth getting to be in the final confrontation. Oh, yeah? Uh, where we complained in the book that Charon was a Tumblr sexy man. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So in the stage show, we get a uh, woman in a sparkly dress. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, and you know what? They at least they didn't whitewash him. Oh fuck! You're right. So I, I think that's pretty cool. Damn this 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 musical is knocking out of the park with uh, not making the same weird racist mistakes as other versions of this. Uh huh. Oh. This is kind of something that runs through the whole play and is, like, a combination of funny, a great cost-saving measure, and also just a very striking visual that looks great. Uh-huh. But uh, Percy's water powers being represented by him having a leaf blower with a bit of roll duct tape to it. Uh-huh. So he just switches it on and it fires roll on whoever he's pointing it at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. It's very good. Especially when fucking... In the in the battle with um with Ares, where Annabeth and Grover like march up next to him like they're handing him a pair of fucking assault rifles. Uh-huh. And it's just these stupid modified leaf blowers and he just gets rid of Ares with them. <laughs> it's fucking like Especially because the first time we see it is in the part where like Clarice is about to attack him in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh and so it just shoots out of the toilet. It's so good. Yeah, um speaking of Clarice I, I'm so happy. You know, I, I was expecting to go into this thinking like, oh, you know, they'll probably do a lot of stuff right, but they they won't do justice by my girl Clarice. And <laughs> I was I was basically wrong. Clarice basically gets a fucking song. She does, and it's badass. It's great. It's like kind of like classic rock almost. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like she's just like like you know wailing about how she's gonna fucking hunt and kill all of them, uh, and it kind of ends up being like a battle song between her and Annabeth in a good way. Yeah, it's the the capture the flag stuff is really great, and also just like the the way that the performer is doing it is like, oh, this is actually like a physically powerful and intimidating character, unlike the movie version who is just a different brunette girl we found. Uh huh. Like, Distinct only slightly from the brunette girl we got for Annabeth. God, yeah. It's kind of a wonder that they... I don't know. With how with how few people there are in this, they could have just had Annabeth also be Clarice, and it could have almost worked. Yeah, probably. I guess it would have made doing the Catch the Flag stuff kind of a pain in the ass, though. No, it truly would not have worked, but... <laughs> I I do dream of this being like a two-person play. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be very good. Uh, this that would be very interesting to watch a two-person play uh, centered around like a central trio. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know that'd be really interesting. Wait a second. <laughs> You're referencing something, but I forget. I can't think of what it is. I'm not actually referencing anything. I was just I was poking fun at the idea. Oh. Oh, you're being an asshole. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, God. You know, we've had a lot of fun here today, folks, but I think I have to stop podcasting with Jane now. <laughs> Speaking uh, of being an asshole. Uh-huh. There, there, there's some cultural context that this um, performance benefits from that you couldn't really do in a novel that was released in 2005. Uh-huh. Uh, the part where uh, Percy accuses Grover of being a furry. Oh God! Right, yeah, it caught me so off guard. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's 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 the classic like fury furry joke basically, <laughs> but it, it just like shook me out of my seat because I had just I I did not expect Percy Jackson to say Grover, you're a furry. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Makes... Maybe we'll get that in Heroes of Olympus. Oh, maybe God could be. We're I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Jane, I would love if there was just an arc of this story where one of the characters got into furry subculture. <laughs> uh, I want to shout out just like 
the campfire song i know we talked a little bit about it earlier but i think it is one of the better songs in here for how like fun it is it's very fun it does a great job of like giving us an idea of like who all these people at camp Halfblood are yeah and like why like what their issues are basically like what they're mm-hmm. having to deal like what what does it mean to have to have godly parents and for people like Silena Beauregard that means that uh, Aphrodite will steal your dates away while wearing a nighty apparently wait is that what that the, the thing with Beckendorf was supposed to be well no that uh during the campfire song well okay so it just sounds like Silena Beauregard is having no luck in love at all because first <laughs> of all it's implied that like Charles Beckendorf is like cheating on her with a nymph uh, which is oh, wild. Right. <laughs> um, but later on during the campfire song, she basically says like, every time I have a date, I bring them back to my place and my mom is there in a nighty and steals them away from me. <laughs> I guess th- this, this is another, another th- thing entirely for us is that, uh, Silena won't be with Beckendorf in this version of the story. Uh, which means that we, we were going hard on, uh, her and Clarice being a couple. And especially because, like, the cut song from this was basically, like, big chunks of that with them singing as a duet. Yeah, yeah, uh, there's I, a cut song. I truly song. think that this is what's uh, being laid in front of us. Yeah, there's a lead song we listen to. Um, I don't, but basically the idea is that it was, like, everyone at Camp Half-Blood picking sides in the war that was upcoming. And I can understand mm-hmm. why they deleted it because like you said, a lot of that was kind of sidelined because it was, it's like not the main thing, but mm-hmm. it, ha- it had a lot of good, like Silena and uh, Clarice stuff was just like them kind of hashing it out and sort of ending up c- coming to, I don't know, like both of them singing together in a very nice way, but also Luke being caught in the middle of it. And like a way yeah. that's like, Oh, he doesn't like all this. He doesn't like that. This is causing conflict at camp. Like he doesn't like that. His friends are having to like fight each other now. Yeah. Like, it does a good he, job of bringing across the like Luke hates the gods. He doesn't hate his friends. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's, it's really good from that perspective. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a lot more to say. I, I I just think that this was like a really good musical. Like I it was I was fun. I'd listen to it again. I it, it was an enjoyable recap of the Lightning Thief experience and sort of a new charming experience all on its own. Yeah, I think I think enjoyable recap is probably like where I'd place it. Like because it does cut out so much of the actual like Lightning Thief plot. Uh-huh. It does. It feels a lot more like an accessory to the book rather than like a full fledged adaptation in its own right. Right. But like, I, it's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that's just what it is. But it's definitely you're right that it's definitely aimed at fans who've already read the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, not a bad thing. Like, of course it is. But like, it's it's very much uh, like it's got a lot of deep cut references, like. I don't know. First of all, the entire character of Katie Gardner. Second of all, there's like yeah. an offhand line where like Percy says something about like, "Oh, if I sang, that would cause that that would cause an avalanche," and that's like a like just like word from word taken from like book five, and like there's oh, really? there's a lot of like uh huh. There's a lot of like interesting, like for the fans type stuff here. Yeah, and I get. I mean, the the final. I don't want to say nail in the coffin because that implies that I didn't like this and I really did. But kind of the thing that seals the deal for it not being like its own thing is ultimately like it is just an adaptation of Lightning Thief. Like the the plot is incomplete at the end. You'd have to go and read the books. Right. But I think what matters especially is that it's not thematically incomplete. Definitely. Because this is a musical about like parentage. It's about... Like a lot of the same things that the Lightning Thief ended up being about. Um, it's it's about these kids f- like finding like new relationships and new new kinds of like new kinds of dynamics in their lives that will help them out. And at the end of this, that kind of becomes like it. That kind of is neatly resolved. Like it leaves the plot quote unquote open, but I think it 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 nicely wraps up the themes in a way that I enjoy. For it's like a, a one off musical. Like there's not going to be a sequel to this. Yeah, de- I definitely not. I guess you wouldn't need to read the books necessarily. You could like watch this, then watch the Sea of Monsters movie, and then punch yourself in the face for being an idiot and go and read the books. <laughs> Uh, or listen to our podcast. (laughs) 
I mean, listen, we try we try to summarize for the benefit of the listener, but it is probably best if you read along with us. That's true. Except for Sea of Monsters, you can just listen to us do that. Yeah, you can you can give that a skip if you want. Uh, I think that might be it for today. I think so. Uh, I, you know, this has been a kind of a quick one, but we just wanted to put something out on the feed, and we thought it'd be an enjoyable like little thing to talk about the musical because you know, it, it's we like musicals here, sort of. We we like a musical. We wanted to take a little bit of a break out before we dive into the fucking behemoth that is Heroes of Olympus, and it just kind of seemed, you know, like fortuitous timing that this is Lightning Thief week. Yeah, it's Lightning Thief week. Everyone, just enjoy, enjoy Lightning Thief. Enjoy the book. Enjoy the musical. Uh, enjoy the upcoming TV show. Uh, <laughs> I can't really think of anything else that it's been adapted into other than that. I'm sure there's like an audio book you can listen to. Probably some graphic novels. Oh, whoa, fuck. Wait. What's there's up? Also, there's also the Lightning Thief DS game, which we still have to play. I just oh, fuck. that. Oh, we we'll need to do definitely that at some point. Yeah, we're going to make our... We have a YouTube channel. We can just put it on our YouTube channel. Yeah, I need to fucking stop putting episodes on there again. <laughs> <laughs> You've been busy. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, I think that does it for us today. Next week, we'll jump right into the Heroes of Olympus with the first four chapters uh, of The Lost Hero. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to reach us, you can check us out on twitter.com slash unwisegirls. There we've got links to our personal Twitters, our Discord server, and our Patreon. If you want to support us, you can leave us a five-star rating review, or you can go to patreon.com slash unwisegirls. There, for a dollar a month, you get the uh, role of... Well, uh, you get the role of uh, currently Whittle Doe being, although we'll probably change it back uh, soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, for $3 a month, you get the role of Big Ba Energy, as well as all of our bonus content. Yep. Uh, last bonus episode, we, for the second week in a row, just kind of chatted about Batman for an hour. It did happen. Yeah. That's that. That was that was it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, wait. I also talked about uh, Secrets of Dumbledore, if you want to listen to someone rip into that shit movie. Oh, God, yeah. Now, we're we're preempting the Shrieking Shack here. <laughs> yeah, but you got to pay for it is the thing. That's true. Um, and for $5 a month, you get the role of Bast Headpat Pass. No longer valid, but if you want an honorary one, then, you know. You can have it. You can hope that it... Pre- if. If Rick Ryden ever writes another Kane Chronicles book, then the value of that thing is going to shoot up. So maybe stockpile them. Maybe duplicate some accounts and sign up at the five dollar tier. Yeah, I don't think we can legally say that. Uh, and so that is a that is a joke. But uh, you know, I uh, but with that rule, you also get all of our bonus content, and you get a special thank you at the end of our episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank uh, Mercy. Veronica, friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Bye.